Thank you, Benji, for leading us this far in worship. You can open your Bibles to the book of Jonah, and we'll be continuing in Jonah chapter 1. And uh, I know we read the whole chapter last week, but we're going to do that again. So please follow along, because it is the Word of God that we are heeding to this morning. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found the ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and falling sound asleep. Verse 6, So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and from what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. Verse 12, he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. May the Lord add a blessing to his word this morning. Last week, we introduced this narrative by focusing on God's mission call to Jonah. That was in the first three verses. We saw how a sovereign God had met a disobedient missionary and how and why Jonah attempted to escape the presence of the Lord and his call. That's what we looked at. But as we also said in our introduction, this story is not primarily about Jonah, as many kind of think. 
the story is rather all about God. And this morning we will see how that begins to make itself very plain and very clear. Last week it was all about Jonah's disobedient response to God's call. As he went, you'll remember, he went down to Tarshish and he went down into the ship and he went down, down. Well, this week we will see the tables turn somewhat. We will see a disobedient missionary meeting a sovereign God. And I trust that if we get anything out of this message this morning, this narrative, we'll simply get this. Don't mess with God, who is sovereign over everything, including your little life and his call upon it. Don't mess with him. But this morning from verses 4 to 16, we're going to see that the Lord is sovereign over nature, We'll see that the Lord is sovereign over circumstances and we will see finally that the Lord is sovereign in the salvation of sinners. So firstly, the Lord is sovereign over nature. We see this in verses 4 to 6. As we've learned, the first three verses tell us that it is impossible to escape from God's presence. For why? Because we learned that God is omnipresent. That is, there is no place in heaven or earth or, or wherever that escapes the all-seeing eye of God. And we had that illustrated with the psalmist telling us all about that in Psalm 139, which we read a number of verses. But Jonah, it seems, left his theology back in Gatheba, Israel, from where he came from. Because he foolishly attempts to do this, to escape from the presence of the Lord, to flee from his presence. But attempting to run from God's will is like fleeing from light. All you do is you end up in darkness. It's like trading wealth and reward for poverty and punishment. That's what it is. It's a foolish exchange, in other words. But this is the downward path that Jonah took. God said go, and Jonah said no. And here he is, following the consequences. What we have here in this text, we see the following consequences of Jonah's trade. See, folks, God will not let his people go, even if it involves his divine intervention as we will see happening in this chapter. I think I've got something like that written in our bulletin this morning. God will never leave us or forsake us, right? Have a read of that, just to catch the, to get the uh, understanding of that. And in these verses, we also see how seriously God takes the election of his people to carry out his will. He does, he takes it really seriously. It's not just simply an optional thing. Oh yeah, maybe I will, maybe I won't. And that's the end of it. No, no. God takes it seriously. As a matter of fact, so seriously we see in this story that he, the almighty God, would have sunk that ship and all the sailors and souls on it rather than allow Jonah to get to his destination. Oh yeah, God is serious with those he calls. 
And that is what the rest of this chapter is about, by the way. God supernaturally intervening in the affairs of man, the affairs of man to bring about his purposes. And so firstly, what he does is he deals with Jonah. He deals with Jonah, his chosen but unwilling missionary, and then he deals ironically with a crew of pagan sailors. The very kind of people that Jonah was first asked to go and preach to. Makes you smile, right? And in verse 4 we're told that the Lord sent or appointed a violent storm to assault the ship. It says the Lord hurled a great wind. He hurled a great wind. I find that's interesting. The sovereign Lord not only sends storms but he also calms them too, right? You'll know that. Remember the disciples when Jesus was there and the disciples, they were in a storm and another storm and they were fearful for their lives just like these sailors were and the Lord came along and says, peace be still. And the sea flattened instantaneously. And their response is, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey his voice? Very God himself. But in the midst of this divinely driven storm, were these hardened and experienced sailors. I want you to enter into the narrative, the picture of this. This is what you're intended to do. This is what the reader is intended to do. They had seen storms before. These guys knew what it was all about. They did what you would normally do in a storm when it gets up a bit. You lighten the ship to make the ship more buoyant. I've been in a fairly stormy situation in a ship. We didn't have to chuck cargo aboard, but we told all the kids to lay right down on the deck because they were likely to get chucked off the seat. And so there was my mother, there was my wife, and there was my kids, and my father and me were back there driving the ship. So you take measures in a storm. That's what these experienced sailors did. But they knew something was amiss. Nothing was working. They knew something was amiss. This was no ordinary storm. And desperation kicks in. Because they see that their skill and all their seamanship, that it fails to beat the power of the storm. They were scared witless. The ship was on the brink of capsizing, it was on the brink of breaking up. So what do pagans do when all else fails? They call upon their gods. Now I find it amusing, still, nothing changes, right? I find it amusing often when unregenerate people get into real strife, particularly when maybe they think their life's in jeopardy, they start getting all religious. Yeah. <laughs> That's what these guys did. Folks, there is a more important lesson here that we can learn. The disobedience of one of God's servants always involves others and puts them in peril. You hear that? The disobedience of one of God's servants always involves others and puts them in peril. These sailors were in extreme danger because of Jonah's disobedience. Let me just flesh that out of it. And you can apply it to your own lives. How many homes, marriages, families, churches, and even businesses suffer because of one man's sin? 
Remember the disobedience of Achan? You know, Achan, children of Israel came across the Jordan and the first obstacle was there was Jericho and they were told, yes, the Lord will take care of it, the walls will fall flat, but you are not to touch one single thing in there. So sure enough, Achan goes and pinches something, some jewels, and hides it under his tent. His whole family died because of that. And the children of Israel lost the battle of Ai, the next one on their agenda, because of that. Remember how David disobeyed God on another occasion when he disobeyed God and he counted the heads of Israel. How many people were in the nation of Israel? 70,000 innocent people died of plague because of that one man's disobedience. When God's chosen people rebel against him, folks, don't take it lightly. He will pursue us. Absolutely he will. He will break our wills one way or another, but sadly, sadly, it always involves others and hurts them in the process. So the storm rages. The sailors are frantic, calling on their gods. But where's Jonah in all this? Where is he? Jonah is down in the hole, fast asleep. Imagine that. What happened here is that a, that a hardened heart became very quickly indifferent toward the Lord and his, and his commands and indifferent towards others. That's what happened. It's ironical again that while Jonah was asleep and very soundly, what were the pagans doing? They were praying. I couldn't help but think of another storm where there was a believer, and many of you would have, some of you would have gone through this in Acts 27, where there was another believer aboard a ship in a storm at the request of the Roman government, by the way, all expenses paid because he was being taken to prison. He was a prisoner. The ship was facing total disaster. But where was this man, the Apostle Paul? Was he asleep? Oh, no way. Was he indifferent? No way. Was he concerned for the welfare of the others? Absolutely. He encouraged them from the Word of God. He prayed before them all. He gave thanks before them all. You read all this as said in Acts 27. He wasn't indifferent. But here is Jonah, fast asleep. How insensitive is that? How insensitive? The pagans were alert to the fact that the storm was of of supernatural making, so they cried to their gods. But Jonah, in his hardened, merciless, and indifferent frame of mind, was fast asleep. Dear people, when we move away from the Lord and His purposes, when we ignore His will for us, no matter whether it's being called to go afield as a missionary or called to be a, a head of our home and a leader of our children and our families or, or a servant of God in whatever aspect it may be, when we ignore that, oh how quick our hearts become hardened and callous and indifference is inevitable. Our conscience becomes seared and we kind of become useless. We become like Jonah by selfishly ignoring the real needs around us. 
The sovereign Lord used the storm to get Jonah's attention, but he used the pagan to wake this man up out of his spiritual and physical slumber. This is where we come to point two. The Lord is sovereign over circumstances. He's not only sovereign over nature, he's sovereign over circumstances. We see this in verses 7 to 12. The pagan captain here, he was frantic, fearful, and he arouses this this sleeping, fair-paying passenger and rebukes him for his insensitivity. That's another irony, by the way. How bad is it having to be rebuked by an unbeliever, folks? Shameful. Jonah was called by God. Go cry against Nineveh. Go and preach the message to them. That's what he was asked to do. But here we see a pagan crying against Jonah. Well, the Lord was stopping at nothing. No way. He was stopping at nothing. He was in charge of all the circumstances and he was going to use them to bring about his purposes. The captain was completely out of ideas. But in his understanding of things, he knew that they were at the mercy of the gods. Or maybe, just maybe, of a God they did not yet know. And Jonah's God was their only hope. Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish, was the captain's word of rebuke. Meanwhile, although reality had not hit Jonah at this stage, it had hit the crew big time. Because on top deck, they were in serious discussion about the ferocity of this supernatural storm. They concluded that this supernatural storm was a judgment for some crime committed by one of them and a god, whoever it was, was big time angry. That was their conclusion. Superstitious as it may be. But really, ironically, they were right on the money, right? They also knew that if they did not act quickly and appease the right God, all would pay the death penalty by drowning. So who was the culprit? Who was the culprit? Let's cast lots. That was the solution. Casting lots was very similar, as you'll see there, to throwing dice or drawing the short straw kind of thing. It was a common form, actually. It was a common form of divination in the ancient world. It was a device used to supposedly discover the will of God. A God. But it's interesting to note that this method of discerning the will of the true God was not forbidden in Israel. Because the Lord rules even over the fall of the dice, right? And we often see through Scripture, especially the Old Testament, the casting of lots. So it wasn't forbidden. But God rules over the fall of the dice. And and right at this moment, when these guys were doing this thing, Jonah staggers onto the heaving deck. And the dice are thrown. And sure enough, the roll of the dice, Jonah is marked out as the culprit. People often think that such things are completely in the hands of Lady Luck. Or maybe... It's just a matter of odds and evens. That's all it is, nothing else. 
But folks, I've said this before, nothing ever happens by chance. From God's perspective. He is in control of everything, including such minuscule circumstances as the roll of a dice. That's the lesson here. The book of Proverbs tells us this, by the way. I'm not making this up. The book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 33 says this. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. A great pastor, preacher that I've often read of, gone to be with the Lord many, many years ago, Donald Gray Barnes. His successor was James Montgomery Boyce, who has too been gone to be the Lord. But Donald Gray Barnhouse used to paraphrase this verse by saying like this, Man throws the dice, but it's God who makes the spots come up. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? I honestly think by now Jonah is really wide awake. Now you think? He's awake now. He's not sleeping. But we cannot go past some more irony here. Jonah was commanded to preach to Nineveh. Yep, but not that. He said no, and he went in the opposite direction to Tarshish. And in that decision, and in that choice, he showed no mercy, no sensitivity toward the others in danger. It was all about himself. Self, self. But here, look what happens. Here the pagans, under the instruction of the dice, their spiritual guidance, can we say, they showed a real reluctance to deal with Jonah as they ought. They wanted to find out all about this man and what he had done and what brought about such a dire predicament before they took any action. They sought to give this man a fair hearing and a trial, so to speak. They were reluctant to treat the stranger's life cheaply, even though he had put them all in danger, as verse 13 indicates. They were reluctant. So the questions come in rapidly. Why, what, and where? Tell us now, they say. On whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And from what people are you? We see that in verse 8. The questions were out. The sailors were convinced the man was who was the one who drew the short straw and he was the culprit. So they wanted answers as to why the supernatural storm was engulfing them. Now it was Jonah's turn to speak. Again, note some more. I'm going to go over it again. Jonah had run away from God and now was in this very difficult situation because he did not want to preach to who? To the pagans in Nineveh. Remember? He was a prejudiced racist. He has such a hatred for... He, 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 like all of Israel, because remember, Jonah is a representative of Israel. All Israel just wanted Yahweh's blessing for themselves and didn't want to go outside his borders. And the idea of preaching to pagans in Nineveh was horrific to them. Some of us were looking at that on Thursday night. The Apostle Paul, in giving his defence, when the mob took him under the rule of uh, the commander he was allowed to speak and as soon as he mentioned that God appointed to take his message to the Gentiles they went ballistic the Jews did well this is the same attitude that Israel still had, had in Jonah's day and it's the attitude that Jonah had 
Oh, no way will I speak to pagans. I will do anything. I will flee from God's presence in order rather than to speak to pagans knowing full well that God was merciful and would show blessing and bring blessing to pagans. He hated that with a passion. But what we see here was that in spite of his refusal, in spite of his prejudices, preaching to pagan men aboard this ship, here he is doing that. I love this. I smile when I read this. The very thing he didn't want to do and refused to do, here he is. He's confronted with a situation in which he does. But also what's amazing here is that in spite of his blatant disobedience and indifference to date, Jonah gives a very good testimony. Do you know that? He really does. He gives a good testimony. As indifferent and disobedient as this missionary was, God will always bring about his purposes however he wishes to. Now, it may have been Jonah's good preaching skills, possibly, that kicked in here and just sort of kind of took over and the words kind of ran out, whatever. Or, or maybe he wasn't a very good liar. And so he just had to spill out the truth. But here Jonah was spot on. He got it right. He gives a true testimony. And so Jonah rehearses the whole story, including why he had run from Yahweh, according to the end of verse 10. He told them who he was and of the God he worshipped. Now, I'm trying to put myself in the situation here. I think I would have stopped right there. That will be enough. Because of the situation I'm in. But look what Jonah includes in his testimony about God. Jonah was a good apologist here. That is, he, he knew where to begin and how to approach these pagans kind of thing. In other words, when telling pagans about God, it is very helpful to start at the beginning. And that's what Jonah does. He starts with creation. A bit like the Apostle Paul, remember, when he went to the Greeks, they were pagans, they had all these gods, and so where does he go? He doesn't start with Jesus Christ dying on the cross as a, as a substitute for sinners. No, no, he goes right back to the beginning, creation. And this is what Jonah does here. But he goes a step further, he gets real specific, and it scares the wits out of these pagans. He tells them, I fear the Lord God of heaven who made sea and the dry land. Now I mean to say, wow, that's probably the last thing that they wanted to hear, right? It really would have been. After all, this would mean that, that to them that, that Jonah's God had, had this sea storm in the hollow of his hand, in control, which was about to swallow them up. It would also mean that the God in charge of the dry land, that was something that was right out of their reach, all this was, would have been very heavy news to hear for them. Folks, we see in verse 5 that they were afraid of the, verse, of the storm, but now in verse 10... They were extremely afraid of the God who was in charge of the storm. No doubt, these well-troubled sailors, of course, going from port to port, from landmass to landmass, all around the Mediterranean basin, they were not ignorant of this Hebrew God. They would have heard about him before. 
They would have heard about his miraculous deliverances, even if they only believed it or heard bits and pieces of his deliverance from the children of Israel, etc., etc. They, they would have known something of this Hebrew God. That was the business of sailors, to pick up everything and learn as much as they could. That's why they were experienced, and, and even today, very superstitious people, because they pick up so much. So this was the, probably not the first time they had heard about this Hebrew God. But folks, listen to this. Hearing about the true God is very different than experiencing Him, right? No wonder they felt like dead men walking in the presence of such a one. What have you done? Was there a in other words, has your God dealt with you so harshly and so badly and so unkindly that you have responded like you have done and are? Is that what your God deserves? Let's stop right there and ask ourselves a similar question. Let's ask ourselves the question, has God dealt so unfaithfully, so unkindly, so harshly that all he deserves in a large way or even a small way, it doesn't matter. All he deserves is our resistance, our unwillingness to serve and to love and obey him. Is that all he, does he deserve that? Is he so unworthy? Is the Lord so unworthy that in response you resist and pursue other interests, other friends, other comforts, other loyalties as substitute to loving and obeying God as we ought and as he deserves? May it not be so. Has God been so barren and dry to you that this is what he gets from my life? We can ask. May it not be so. Well, the sailors asked the next logical question here in our story. What shall we do to you to appease your God and bring about a calm sea for us? That's fairly logical, right? Now, if you were Jonah, what would you have said and done right now? I would like to think I would have said, well, first of all, repented before God. But this is where Jonah shows his real true colours again, I honestly believe. Because I honestly believe that if Jonah had repented and said, hey, turn this ship around and head it back to Joppa, I've got a mission in Nineveh. You know what? I honestly believe that, that sea would have flattened out and he would have had a tailwind that would have taken that ship safely all the way to Joppa, the fastest they'd ever been before. But no. But no. What did Jonah do? Notice not the sailors that suggest this. It's Jonah himself. Throw me overboard and all will be well, he says. Why do you think Jonah said this? Was it just a depressed mind with a suicidal death wish? I don't think so. I don't think so. You see, Jonah, like many of God's people who try and live with unrepentant sin in their lives, they do not improve this situation no matter how hard they try. They don't. It spirals down, down, down. Their hearts become harder, harder, harder. Their conscience becomes more seared, more seared, more seared in resisting the will of God and the Spirit of God. 
In other words, folks, Jonah was now saying, Tarshish was my plan, but now death is still better than doing God's will. And you might ask, can a believer become so hardened and, and, and so self-destructive as that? Sad to say, I believe the answer is yes. Because that's the nature and course of sin. It only takes one step in the wrong direction. Flee to Tarshish. And you may have a Tarshish in your life this morning. And before you know it, that sin can accelerate into such self-destructing decisions that the unrepentant believer can wish himself dead rather than call upon God in repentance and faith and obedience. Let us be warned here. Let us be warned. You disregard God's word or become indifferent about the spiritual well-being of others and that will soon lead to a disregard and neglect of your own life before the Lord. It really will. Any unsaved here? You may know the gospel. You may know it's through and through. But you go on indifferently without responding to it in faith and obedience and repentance which God's commands. Your eternal destiny is at stake. You're in grave danger. You see, instead of going hard out and toughing it out, we need to keep short accounts like Jonah was. He was toughing it out and all by himself where he thought he was. Instead of doing that, we need to keep short accounts before God and learn from King David who prayed this in Psalm 139, verse 23, verse 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's our attitude. That's our heart's response. Now we come to point three. We see this in verses 13 to 16. And so the instructions Jonah gave the sailors was, just throw me overboard. That was the instructions they received from Jonah. It was still ringing in their ears. But another irony here, as I've said before, they valued human life, right? Even Jonas. So according to verse 10, verse 13, they, they, what did they do? They rode desperately. I, I, don't, I don't see any text here that says Jonah, so by saying Jonah, here, give me an oar and I'll give you a hand. No, no, no. They pulled heavily with each stroke. They dug deep but no amount of human effort can ever negate God's purposes, folks. It never can. They rode desperately. The idea is they dug deep. In other words, they made sure that their all wasn't just pulling a bit of water. They made sure every centimetre of pull pulled deep. That's the Hebrew word. They dug deep. To drive that ship with all their strength that they had but no avail, all was hopeless. Jonah, what a right mess you've got us, got us all into here. How true it is, folks, a disobedient Christian, a disobedient Christian living completely outside the will of God is nothing but a pain in the neck for those around them. They really are. They're no good to God, and they're no good to themselves, and they're no good to anyone else. 
is a Christian who is completely living outside the will of God. As a matter of fact, a disobedient Christian is the most miserable creature in the world and they seem to breed more misery around them. You ever experienced that? I really call to question, but people who call themselves Christian, and they're such hard work, you, you even get depressed being with them. That's not how a believer should be. I don't care what the circumstances are. A believer in love with the Lord should breed joy and happiness and peace and hope, not misery. But this is what Jonah was breeding. So the sailors then decide, okay, let's do what the man says. Let's chuck him overboard. It's going to be tough, but anyway, just to cover all the bases, let's pray. That's what these pagans said. Let's pray. So verse 14 says they pray to Jonah's God. You've got to smile here, really, you have to. And they call upon the Lord and they say, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. You see that? That's prayer request number one. In other words, don't let us die because of him. It's just plain not fair. And then they say, And don't put innocent blood on us when he drowns. Don't hold us responsible. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. First of all, prayer request number one, don't let us die. Prayer request number two, and don't hold us responsible for Jonah's death. After all, God, this is your deal. This is between Jonah and you. You work it out. Leave us out of this. Can't blame them for thinking like that, right? So verse 15 tells us they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea. How hard that was, we can only imagine. They picked him up and threw him into the sea. But look what happened. And the sea stopped its raging. Now here is the climax of the chapter. Forget verse 17. In the Hebrew Bible, verse 17 is verse 1. It should go into the next section. This is, where this, this is where the first chapter should end. Because here's the climax. Even in, This is the most powerful sermon Jonah ever preached about who is the true God. Because what happened? The storm shut down. It instantly went flat. The storm was supernaturally stopped as it was supernaturally started. Now for sure, these pagans knew that they were dealing with the true God. Amen? They knew that, wow... Jonah's testimony of God, of, of his God being the land of the sea and the dry land was for sure. Folks, God was still using Jonah in spite of his rebellious attitude. If Jonah's preaching was not going to be forthcoming, his being overthrown overboard certainly brought about the testimony that God desired in this ship. It certainly did. Here is revival, folks. Here is revival if there ever was one. Because these guys got converted. They got converted. And that's the last we hear of these sailors. In verse 16 it says, Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is worship in action here, right? They must have learned, perhaps even from Jonah, we're not sure, that sacrifice was needed to approach God to cover for sins and vows were the norm for affirming their loyalty and their newfound love and obedience to God. And these guys were full of it. This is what they did. I'm looking forward to meeting those pagan sailors in heaven, asking them for a few more details, but there you are. 
So not only is God sovereign over nature, not only is he sovereign over circumstances, but he is sovereign in salvation of whoever he wills. He will save whom he will save. Amen? But the irony in all this is plain. Here is Jonah, this utterly useless guy who just wants to drown rather than seeing anybody converted. And, and even in his drowning, a whole boatload of people get converted. It's like God was saying, Jonah, I'll use you to do what I want even if you don't want to do it. I will bless, but sad to say, you are not going to see any of the blessing because you'll be floundering. How sad is that? So Jonah meets his sovereign God. The pagans are converted. God's sovereign purposes are fulfilled on this boat. But what about you this morning? What about you? Look into your own heart. My plea for you, each one, whether you're a believer or not a believer, is that you will not be or continue to be indifferent or disobedient to God's call on your life. If you're not converted as Christ, to Christ as your Saviour and Lord, you know what God commands you to do? He commands every man everywhere to repent. You have that in Acts 17 and 30. That's your start point. Repent. You're to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ, the only one who can bring about salvation. That's, that's, your, that's your deal. Hearing about God and his way of salvation is one thing, but personally experiencing God's love and mercy is quite something else. It's eternally life-changing, folks. And as believers here this morning, we weren't just called to be saved. We're called to be servants. We're called to be witnesses. May we be challenged with this this morning as we consider these wonderful lessons in the life of Jonah thus far. We're going to sing a hymn now and I'm going to ask Benji to come and lead that. And um, it's going to be, it's called, uh, it's His Grace, a well-known one. And, um, and after that we'll have a closing uh, benediction. Last song together, you will say whom you will say.
stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy to the only God our Saviour through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty, dominion and authority before all time now and forever and the people of God see you.